Thank you for joining me. It's a perfect place to be on a beautiful Friday. Yes, it is. It is. So thank you for joining me. This is my podcast. I, I mean, I guess I could tell you a little bit about it. Uh, might as well. So it's called David Talks A Lot. I thought it was a pretty catchy name. I just came up at, like with it out of nowhere. Been doing it for about like two months, I want to say. And so, yeah, so far you're my third guest. Um, part of it has been because I don't get to upload as much because like it's all on a free platform. So I can only do a certain amount of time of upload Yeah. every time. And then part of it is because of time lately, you know, I started it when school was still online and now school is back to regular and so back to normal. So and I've been a lot, I've been a lot busier, but you know, here we are. And I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to join me. So it's, it's great. It's great to be with you. Do you talk a lot? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. Um, um, to the, um, to the, how would I call it? The dismiss of others, I guess. Let's put it to to others people to other people's dissatisfaction but other people seem to like it so i don't believe you <laughs> other people seem to like it um some more like it more than others so yeah but thank you for joining me so i am with father tim uh he's currently the um the head priest at my parish saint michael's catholic church yes sir representing <laughs> yeah and um so really uh kind of what we're going to talk about I want to talk about you a lot basically your journey as a priest how it's been um how it is here and then like I guess I could talk about myself too and then just a a couple other things you know just Great. anything out out of the blue Perfect. So yeah so first I want to start with you so how long have you been a priest I've been a priest 27 years 27 years Mhm dang wow yeah I know way longer than I've been alive <laughs> Um, and then what, was there like a certain moment that made you want to become a priest or how did, how did that work out? There was a moment, but the moment wasn't about when I wanted to become a priest. The moment was about when I wanted to start living my faith. And for me, that was a time in college when I had sort of walked away from it all. And I had really, um, it's almost cliche. I'd just gone down the life of college student partier, have a great time. Um, I wouldn't say I was a atheist or a non-believer, but I just, God wasn't that important. Um, and so I stopped doing all the stuff that I was raised to do. I was raised in the, in the faith in the Catholic church in Atlanta, mostly in Miami, Florida. And, um, so I was trying to live my life as if God didn't exist, just sort of doing my own thing. And, um, I started to become a little bit afraid that I was turning out, turning into a bad person. You know, I had messed up several relationships. Um, I was getting involved in patterns in the patterns of my life that I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to get out of. And so I really kind of turned to God. It wasn't, I wouldn't say in desperation, but basically saying to God, Hey, if you would do something really powerful in my life, I would really follow you but you haven't really done anything very powerful in my life. So I'm not going to follow you right. or I'm not going to care that much. And, um, I won't say that I had like a St. Paul kind of thing where St. Paul got thrown to the ground by the spirit of God. But I did start having, um, something that I would just call it prayer that started to happen in my life. And it started to show up in ways that were new for me. And the most vivid was that I started to, 
um, just a, this was just a period of time of like one week, one summer when I was halfway through college. And I had really prayed a serious prayer to God that I wanted to know him. And I started waking up in the middle of the night. Um, this happened several nights in a row. And I became aware that I was praying. And it wasn't a prayer like I thought up to say uh, the Our Father. It was like a prayer that I was worshiping God through his spirit um, in the middle of the night. And so I realized that there was a prayer happening in me that I wasn't initiating. It was God initiating it. And so that made me really start to believe. And then through that belief was when a year later I started considering the priesthood. That's amazing. It's like, it's incredible. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you right now, I do talk a lot, but when it comes to stuff like that, it's kind of, for me, it always leaves me speechless most of the time. Like I can't, I mean, I could put words to it, but I feel like words don't ever do it any justice. So like to me, just stories like that, they usually just like, like they take me away and I'll comment all I want on it. But as far as like trying to describe that experience or how I feel about it, I can't ever, I can't ever put to words how I feel about somebody else's experience or how I feel about my experiences like with God specifically. So, I mean, I just think it's, I think it's great, but like I said, it, I mean, great. The word great does not do that story any justice at all, in my opinion. Well, so. you know, our, it's part of our whole prayer tradition is people are left speechless in the face of God's um, beauty and sometimes God's power that's sort of what awe is, is when you just can't say any, anything yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then, and okay, so I kind of want to learn how long is a priest in the, what's it called again? The seminar, right? Or the is seminary. It, oh, right. The seminary. So how mm-hmm. long are you usually in the seminary? When I was in, we had the short, we had the, um, the fast track, uh, which was five years. I was in the seminary five years. If you had a, if you had a, bachelor's degree from a college then you did five more years for a master's degree in the seminary okay now it's six to eight years because the bishops in the united states um increase the requirement for philosophy so when i was in you had to have 18 hours of philosophy and now you have to have 30 so which is a minor in philosophy which is i mean the reason they want want that is because so much of our um our our faith our christian faith it came into existence at the same time people were talking about philosophers like plato and aristotle right yeah you know and so philosophy kind of um it was the way that they sort of made sense of divine things Uh, one example was in the catholic church we have that belief that in the mass that the bread and wine are they become jesus Right. And the fancy word that got applied to that is transubstantiation. And the word substance, it just means a change of substance. And um, and the word substance is a, like not a religious word. It's a philosophy word. So that's why we have to, that's why seminarians have to have philosophy. Okay. And so then the seminary is like, so it's structured kind of like a, a regular university to where you have a certain requirement of like hours of certain credits of a certain class. Yes, the only thing that's the thing that's really different is not the the academic work or the class work. 
the thing that's really different is the whole process that they call formation, which means that in addition to your classwork, you have morning prayer and you have evening prayer and you have mass and you have your own private prayer and you meet with a formation director who talks to you about how you're doing, you know, your journey, okay. how you feeling about it, which it doesn't really happen as much in, in college. Most college people are pretty free to right, yeah. do whatever they want outside of class. Okay. So it's like, that's interesting. That's interesting. I, I don't know. I kind of, I just never know how, never really knew nor learned how a seminary works. So I always, I always find it like, I guess kind of interesting to see like what a priest actually goes through and how much training like a priest goes through before actually becoming a priest of a parish. Yeah. There's one other big part of it, because most of the things that we just described were academic and formation, but then there's pastoral, so they also send you out from the seminary to go work in hospitals, schools, parishes, just to live your faith in the midst of real people doing their real lives. Right, and then usually when when you go out uh, of the seminary and go, like, with other parishes or in the hospitals. How long is that usually? How how long do those terms usually last? Well, for example, right now here in our parish, we have a seminarian who's uh, halfway through his seminary. And um, so his time is in our parish one year. That way he can get experience in almost everything that is involved in a parish, which makes sense, you know, because it's what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. So right, you yeah. need to make sure you like it. And, um, but then when I was in the seminary, we didn't have that program where we go off for a year. So ours was just one or two days a week where we would go out from the seminary to be in a parish or to go, um, work in a hospital. Oh, okay. So now it's like a completely different system basically to where now, oh yeah, usually how, how, in, how close in proximity are you away from, from the seminary that you're studying at? So right now our seminary in, which seminary is he at right now? He's at Mundelein. No, he's not. He's at St. Vincent Seminary in Boynton Beach, Florida. Oh, wow. So, so. it's almost to Miami. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a it's a bit distance away. And then compared to you where you were there one to two days, how far was the parish you were at or wherever you were at? Not far. I was just like I was in south central Indiana is where the seminary is. And the only places that I went out to were, you know, within an hour. Okay. So that's why we just drive out there and then come back the same day. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's, I, I kind of, I probably would say that I kind of like the new system better just because it's a more hands-on experience and it's a brand new environment Yeah. too. So I feel like um, when you, when you're pushed into a brand new environment, I think you learn more as a seminarian and then it just helps you on your journey to a priest just because. I, I feel like every parish has their own special characteristics and every set of people have their own special set of characteristics. So I feel like being a priest is not only knowing, uh, I guess, what you're talking about, right? It's not just knowing God. and It's also knowing the people and how to spread your message to them. So I feel the better you get to know people, the better priest you can become. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. So I think, me personally, I agree with that new system. It's the same way, I guess... Um, most people, they like to, some people like to go away far for college. It's, I feel like it's the same kind of, um, the same principle, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. 
And then what else was I going to ask about the the seminary? I com I completely forgot. Oh yeah. Also, so does that count t like towards a year in your seminary? Is like is it kind of like a credit given, or is it kind of um when you're a year away? How how does that work? Uh, like yes, yeah, they do have credit. Okay. Well, actually, like Carlos, who's with us now, he has to do a class every Tuesday, so he's on the he's on either Skype or or Zoom or something with his other seminarians in his same year who are all at parishes all over the country. And so they get together and they have a class. So he's getting credit in his academic lineup for this year. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. That's good to know. Um, going back to you. So I kind of want to learn a little bit more about how you were before priesthood, because usually a lot of people think like, Oh, when it's like a, when they're a priest, they're like, they're like this perfect person. They're this or that. They're like, or you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about priests. Let's just put it that way. So usually people think a priest was like born and raised perfectly. They're a perfect person, like I said, since birth. And I feel like, and you've told me too, I guess, stories, obviously in general, um, like the stories of how you were when you were, when you were um, a lot younger. And I didn't expect any of them to be fair because I had that same perception. So, first of all, I kind of want to know, how did your family react when you quickly, when that, that turnaround, to that turnaround from, like, the regular old college student, basically, you know, the run-of-the-mill college student to a priest? It was funny. <laughs> it was funny, but also kind of sad a little bit. Um, and I say kind of sad because my my family had always encouraged, I have two brothers, and they had always encouraged us, you know, to play any sport we wanted to play, play any instrument we wanted to play. They had always encouraged us in almost every endeavor that we would take on in our life. And then I have this, like, conversion really first to Christ in college. And I really went fast. I mean, I went really went into... Um, prayer, Bible study. This wasn't like a formal thing. It was just me in my room. And I went, I started going back to the Catholic church and, uh, my mom said something funny though. She said, would you please explain to me why last month when I prayed, I would ask God, please not to let you drive when you had been drinking. And this month I'm asking God why you were suddenly hanging out at church all the time with middle-aged women. <laughs> <laughs> so she was a little bit nervous. She didn't know really what to make of what was going on on in my life. And, um, and they weren't really surprised when a year later I came home and told them I was going to go to the seminary and they were really not happy that I told them that I was leaving college and I was going to go straight into the seminary. And so my mom prayed against me again. You know, that's what that's what you do when somebody's doing something that you don't want them to do. You pray against them. Right. <laughs> and so she she was praying, please, God, make him make a wise decision and don't let him leave college. Because I was halfway through my architecture degree. And um, so my mom got her prayer answered because there I was in college and something good was happening in my life concerning the Catholic church is that I met the first priest that I had ever really gotten to know 
who was a younger priest. He wasn't old like most of the priests I knew. Um, he was pretty cool. And f- as far as he liked to do some really good regular things. Um, I mean, he liked to play tennis. He liked to go see movies. He liked to. Right. He was very active. Yeah. Yeah. And he was young. And so um, he really had. Uh, he's the one that really opened up the door of possibility for me where I thought. I might actually be happy doing this. And then, but, but he's also the one that got my mom's prayer answered because, um, I was telling him that I felt like God was calling me to go straight into the seminary. And he said to me, you know, God is usually, um, God can do sudden things like he did with St. Francis of Assisi or St. Paul, but ordinarily God works through order and, um, and, he doesn't usually make like abrupt changes in your life. And so he's kind of, and this is the priest talking to me. He said, he's kind of set you in the way that you should be going. You're learning a lot. You're just coming back to the Catholic faith in college. You're doing a lot at the Catholic center. Um, You're learning a lot. Maybe God wants you to stay and let this last three years here form you. And I thought, okay, there's some wisdom there. <laughs> so I stayed and finished my degree. Oh, okay. So yeah, I was I was about to ask that. I was like, did you ever did you ever get to finish your degree? But Yeah. No. And I'm so glad I did. I mean, I was just communicating with some friends of mine from architecture school and we still communicate. Um and I I still love architecture. I was just watching on um some channel the other night about um there's a tiny house movement. And it's people who want to downsize from bigger houses and they make a house. It's not like a trailer. It's like a fancy house, but built on a trailer. And it's architecturally like cool. I mean, they do the coolest things with space, making more space out of small space. And so I, I still stay very involved, not very involved, but I still like to, to think about and talk about architecture. Uh, okay. That's interesting. And, yeah, basically, ever since you finished your degree, do you really do any architectural work? Have you done any architectural work? Yes. If you went in my room right now, you would see I have a, a drawing board because back in the day, when I was in architecture school, we were just transitioning into this new thing called a computer. Mm. I'll say it again. This new thing called a computer. That's how old it was. And even when they told us you have to do a thesis and it has to be drawn. You have to draw it on paper, but it also has to be typed on a new thing called a word processor. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I still draw things. Modern day architecture, they still draw things, but eventually it gets put on a computer. computer yeah. Like computer aided drafting. Um, but in, if you were to go in my room, you'd see a drafting board um, with. What I was working on is here at the parish, the first generation of St. Michael Parish, the building that it was in still exists, and it's a beautiful, um, it looks like a church. It's right behind Long Street Clinic off of Jesse Jewel Parkway. And it's a granite, granite comes from Stone Mountain, and it's just a little church with a red roof. But I've been thinking about, I really want to buy the front of that building and move it over here to St. Michael on Noda Road 
and make it our, our a new chapel. Oh. Um, it's really, it's a beautiful little chapel over there. And um, so I do things like that. I did a drawing to make our garage at the rectory into a chapel, small chapel. Um, uh, I did some of the, we just renovated our social hall. Oh, right. And I did some of the drawings for that. And I've done things, different, right. different yeah, churches. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Well, that's nice then. I'm glad, I'm glad you're at least putting the degree to work or else, you know, it would have been, where did you study at? Where did you get your architectural degree? It was in Alabama, Auburn University. You went to yeah. Auburn. You're an Auburn alumni. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. I have a friend at Auburn right now. <laughs> I have a friend at Shout Auburn out. right now. Shout out to the War Eagles. Oh, no. Go dogs. Go dogs. I'm a big UG. Like, I, I have a friend right now at, at Auburn, and at least every day, at least once a day, we bicker about, like, which college is better. As far as maybe college, I might give it to Auburn, but we're better at football, so I don't really mind. Well, we were we just played each other two weeks ago, yeah. Auburn and Georgia, and my sister-in-law, who's a Bulldogs fan, was merciless to me because <laughs> we were texting back and forth, and she was talking smack, and trying to drag me down but I, even though we lost i didn't let it get to me <laughs> no i was i was i was letting her hear i was letting her hear it because i don't i'm just a very when it comes to the team that i actually root for and with it being like my my childhood team i, I let her hear it i let her hear it with like non-stop i would i call i one time i called her just like just to say go like just to yell go dogs and then later that night i called her again and this time I had my entire friends, and I just told her to go dogs, like all of us did. And obviously she hung up because she got a little butt hurt, but it's okay. So, yeah. Shout out Isabella Folger. She's currently doing an engineering degree over there at Auburn. War Eagle, Isabella. <laughs> yeah, she's doing an engineering degree over there. It's pretty tough on her. Uh, engineering is not easy, but I don't know. She, I say she should have became a pilot. She should have joined their, um, what's it called again? Their aeronautical program. I think it is. I mm-hmm. forgot what it was. Aeronautical engineering is they have that. Yeah, she's doing aerospace or yeah, aerospace engineering. And for some reason she's doing like a a civil engineering class right now. So like an introduction to a civil engineering class. It's it's all it's kind of weird. She's just, she's going through it right now, but it's okay. She's she's a fighter. She'll be fine. But that's not an easy program. <laughs> no, it is not at all. Good thing I don't want to be an engineer. I'd, I'll just stick to computer science, but so yeah, shout out to her. Shout out to her friend, uh, her roommate Sadie, who's also uh, doing her engineering degree over there. They're God both, bless you, Sadie. Yeah, they're they're both going through a, like a rough time when it comes to class. Sadie, poor Sadie, can't even like figure out calculus right now. So <laughs> she's go, she's going through it for real. <laughs> that was the worst for me. Really, I'm not. I'm more like the I'm more like the art guy than the math guy. But if you go to architecture school, they want you to make buildings that will not only be beautiful, but also stand up and not fall down and yeah. kill people. So you have to take all the math. And it was it was tough. Um, Calcu- me, all the calculus, all the physics. Yeah, me, I, I love math. I am a math nerd. I'm not going to lie about that, but I think being an, engineering is just, an engineer is way too much, way too much for me. Something about it just doesn't appeal to me. Like, I mean, I feel like it's the, um, cause I don't mind rigor. I just feel like it's, um, it's not any rigor that I'm passionate about. So that's why I'm just like, 
I'd rather not. And then like with the stuff she, with the stuff she tells me about, like from that degree, I'm just like, no, I'll be fine. I mean, personally, I feel like she should have been a pilot still. Um, maybe for selfish reasons, I would I would have liked to go flying with her, but it's okay. Um, it's it's whatever, I guess. Whatever's making her happy. Well, there's plenty of people who want to do what she's doing, so you don't need to feel guilty about it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's true. So yeah, and it's it's expensive over there. How how expensive was Auburn when you were there? It was not expensive. They actually encouraged people to get in-state residency, uh, which lowered the tuition. So they were on the quarter system, which means you're actually in school for three quarters, and then summertime is the fourth quarter. And so mine was um, six hundred and something dollars a quarter, which means eighteen eighteen hundred a year. Wow. She's looking at like, well, I actually, I don't want to say really, I don't want to like tell everybody, but it's a lot, a lot more than that. So college has gone crazy expensive, crazy expensive. Um, how it does it, is a seminary free or do you have to pay for that too? Uh, the diocese pays for it. Oh, the diocese. As a matter of fact, you pay for it because we have every every year we have something in the church called the annual appeal, and it doesn't go to the parish, or it doesn't all go to the parish. It goes to the bishop, and so the bishop sort of divvies it up among different offices, and one of those is the vocations office, and the vocations office is the one who pays seminarians tuition and stuff like that. Oh, okay. So, wow. Maybe the seminary route is for some people. I mean, if it's free, then why not? I guess for some people. For yeah, but it sh- it, could, it shouldn't be a financial decision. It should be a prayerful. If God's calling you to oh, it, yeah. you go. You know, of course. Yeah, I just feel like it shouldn't. Like, um, I feel like finance shouldn't be a reason to stop you from going. Right, that that's true. Sense. That's why we pay for it. Yeah, because it's like I feel like it would be so unfair that it's somebody's calling to go, but money stopping them from going. It would, yeah. it would be a shame, like an actual shame. And that's different than a lot of other countries. Like we have a priest with us right now named Father Carlos Cifuentes oh, yeah. from Colombia. And uh, there, your family basically, I think, has to pay for you. And then I think the same is in Mexico. Um, families pay for people. Actually, it's like that in a lot of places. Oh, wow. So is it different... Just here in like in this country, or is it just something like a Georgia thing? Do you know if any? It's other? in this country, and it's partly because American you, you uh, United States people from the United States think, um, my son is giving his life to you, the church. Shouldn't you ante up and pay for it? Right. Whereas in other countries, they think, oh. God bless you, church, for receiving my son. Um, we're gonna pay for him, you know. And they maybe they think of the church as not having the resources to, you know, uh, keep okay. seminarians going. That's interesting. I never really thought about it that way. But yeah, There's a lot of differences. A lot of other, like in the United States, priests receive a salary, and it's not a huge salary. Um, and most and in many other countries priests don't receive a salary and they only rely on what people um give them as kind of like a stipend for funerals and weddings and baptisms and masses 
Really? And are most of them like forced to do an outside job? So basically like. Uh, I don't think they're, most of them are not allowed to. There was a movement in France called the priest worker movement where priests would, um, they, they, it wasn't for financial reasons. It was, they felt they could know the people better if they were working beside them in the plant or whatever. And so all these priests were working in secular jobs. But now I think most of us are encouraged. Like, I don't think my bishop would let me get a second job. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like now, I mean, you receive a salary. I mean, like I said, like you said, it's not a huge salary, but I mean, at least it still is a salary. But I'm just saying for like people who typically who rely on what they get from funerals or from, you know, I don't know, let's say, yeah, from funerals or from special masses or dedicated masses. You know, I feel like that's a little that's a little tough for them financially, but. Oh, it is. Yeah, it definitely is. Although. I haven't met too many skinny priests, so <laughs> it's not like anybody's starving. Okay. Yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> that's a fair point. So, yeah, and then um, I guess kind of going back even further, like into your college days, so what made you like architecture? Like, well, What about architecture just sparked your interest? I think it was the combination of art and um, the physicality of structure. You might even say, I know that's all mathematical, which I just said I didn't like, but there's something um, there's something powerful about the form of architecture is generated from the physical forces on the land and uh, the physical strength of materials. And so it's not just like, I guess maybe this, I don't know if this is a good contrast to make, but if I'm a painter like fine arts, like an oil painter, I think of ideas and I use my medium to paint that, you know, um, in architecture, I have more limitations. I don't just have a paintbrush and a canvas and, a um, colors I have. Um, can this building fit on this site? Right. How, how, how does it have to be shaped so it can enhance the site? And so that whole dialogue between, the artistic part and the physical laws that shape it, to me, it makes it more fun because you have to be more creative. Um, they, always, they always told us in architecture school, don't view, um, what do they say, limitations. Le- use View limitations as opportunities for creativity. I like that. Uh, I never really thought about it that way, but it's kind of, I guess I kind of see where you're coming from. Just something about, being limited you got to be able to work with what you get yeah i think that's i think that's even i think that's even more fun especially for me because me personally i'm not like the most creative person and so when you're restricted to something i guess that's something that sparks my creativity because that's um you're confined to something so it makes you think even harder Mm -hmm. with what to do and so yeah some of the most beautiful things that people would easily recognized in architecture or and the thing i'm thinking about right now is called buttresses on churches and if you go to notre dame cathedral in in paris you'll see these pieces of these kind of like arms of of stone that come up to hold the sides of the church and the reason they made those is because without them the church side walls will fall over but they end up looking beautiful, and they le- they're part of the design. 
And they're part of the reason why everybody recognizes that church because of the buttresses. Mm. That's that's pretty cool too. That's mm. fine. So yeah, and then I see is that a guitar? Yeah. So how long have you been playing the guitar then? I never I didn't even know you played the guitar. Uh-huh. When I was 9, I started picking it up. My dad played it. And wow. so um I picked it up and started playing it and I've been playing it ever since. I should be really good for having been playing guitar for that long. But I never really took lessons. And so I'm not as good as I should be. <laughs> I mean, I think it's fine as long as um what do you usually play it just for fun? Is it anything that helps you when you're like a bit stressed out or or is it just a random hobby or how come you play nowadays? All the above. It's a <laughs> random hobby. I do pick it up when I get stressed out. Um I do try to write songs and things like that. So it's a way to um it's a way to sometimes divert my attention. Um especially I've found in the priesthood, since what you're dealing with in the church is you're dealing with things that are kind of epic, like ideas like grace, God, sin, um, body of Christ, not just the Eucharist, but the whole body of Christ on earth. And so whenever you think about like a project, how are we going to do something? It just is always immense. Right. And so it's nice to have something that I can do, like clean up my room that has an end point. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. write a song and record it and it's over. And it might might be terrible, but at least it's finished. <laughs> yeah. Where the work of the church is never finished. That's true. That, that makes complete sense then. And that's nice. I I'm a self-taught drummer, but I, lately I don't play anymore just because um, we have the drums up in my attic, and we have nowhere to put them. Uh, I had them in my room, and but since we moved, I have a I have a smaller room, and then I can't. But now we have a garage, but I can't play in the garage because we usually keep a car in there, and it does not fit in there. And then on top of that, they would say it looks tacky. So I haven't played in probably since I moved, like since March. I haven't played those things. Unfortunately, because I, I was actually starting to get pretty decent at them. And then I think I would have gone even better through quarantine. I would have gotten so good, but I have nowhere to put them. And then on top of that, um, bringing them down and then putting them back up every day gets uh, gets a bit tough. I still want to keep them, though, just in case um, my my sister's planning out on moving on, moving out soon. And I already called dibs on using that as a music room. So hopefully I get to play them then and, and catch my rhythm again, because that's something that I. I want to keep doing up in a college yeah. because that's something that really helps my stress out. Usually like anytime I, um, anytime I, I'm feeling like very stressed or, or very angry, I can hit something very hard at like in like rhythmically. <laughs> yeah. And so something about that to me is just very amusing everybody. And then on top of that, everybody always tells me why the drums, why would you pick the drums out of everything else compared to like something really nice, like the guitar or the piano but I feel like just the drums appeal to me the most because, like I said, first of all, it's hitting something like as hard as you want, but rhythmically, so it just sounds good. And then I feel like um, yeah, the drums, the drums maintain the tempo of like every song, so it's like um, I feel if you don't have a drum that if if the drums aren't there coming in hard, I don't the usually the it's really hard to have a very 
hard song without any drums in it, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes so, sense. So it's like, I don't know, something about the drums. The drums add a lot of flavor to music. Um, like, uh, no matter how good the guitar is, to me, like, I always like to play the um, the drum notes in the song. Like, because there's some things that, there's a lot of things um, people don't catch in a drum, like, in a drum pattern. Or when, like, the drums are being played, I feel like they get taken for, gran- taken for granted. Because obviously the, the sound that, that stands out the most, even though it's not the loudest, the sound that stands out the most is the guitar. So people just think the, the drums like are just background noise, but to me they they carry the entire thing. So that's why me personally I love the drums and I we need to start them. a we'll start a band. That's actually that's actually what I wanted to do before. I was like I kind of want to start a band and then like go play somewhere. It'd be kind of fun, but I couldn't find anybody that played the guitar, whether it be the acoustic or the electric. But I mean I'm down if you're down, and then we'll see we'll see what's up. Do we like the same kind of music? I don't know, do we? What kind of music do you like? I like a lot of um classic rock. Like like Allman Brothers um, band, Leonard Skinnerd, uh Bad Company. I'm gonna be completely honest with you. You've never heard of any I've of this. I've never heard of them. But I am about probably about almost forty years older than you or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure you're older than me. You, I'm I'm pretty sure you're way older than me, but I feel like you look very good for your age. I'm not gonna try to guess your age, nor am I gonna ask because um, that's a bit rude. But I'll I'm, tell you, yeah. fifty six. You're fifty six. I'm fifty six. No, yeah, you look really good for your age. That's, that's for sure. So. Even though right now people that are listening can't see, but I'm sunburned, so my head. <laughs> I only I'm Irish descent, and I only have two colors white and pink <laughs> and now i'm a little bit pink because i went out to lunch with my mom and dad and we um sat out in the sun <laughs> and i didn't have any sunscreen or a hat dang no that's one thing that's one thing i um i feel like i take that for granted my skin pigment i don't ever i've never gotten sunburned ever. you're dark though you, you probably yeah. just get a tan yeah like i have even i mean i usually i'm very careful with my sunscreen but there's times where people put on like a ton of more sunscreen than me and they end up getting burnt but i or there's people who are my skin tone and they end up getting burnt and i've never gotten sunburned ever my skin's my skin's pretty tough i guess i guess i'm just built different but yeah me the bands i like are typically um for one it's the the smiths that's like probably my number one that's kind of my era. <laughs> yeah, kind of. But I I like I like the Smiths a lot. Um and then it's just like a then it's just like a bunch of random artists that I use in these songs. It's more like glimpses of songs than it is more artists that I stick to. Um I really like Oasis. Oasis is actually yeah, Oasis over the Smiths personally. I like Oasis a lot. I like Oasis too. So, um I I I knew probably like a good 5 Oasis songs before I stopped playing. So, I really like Oasis. I like the Smiths. Um, I like, I like, um, I don't know how to say this. So I like Nirvana songs, but I wouldn't say I'm a Nirvana fan. A lot of people are so over, like when you say you're a Nirvana fan, like a lot of people get really upset nowadays. So I'm just going to stick to the record and say that I like Nirvana. Like I like some of their songs and I'll just stick to that before I say something too politically, too politically incorrect. I'm surprised though that people still get emotional about Nirvana. 
yeah, some people are like, oh, you don't you don't even know this many albums. You don't even know every song on this album. And I'm just like, okay, just, okay, I just know the song. And I like it. Sorry. Sorry. So, yeah. And then. It's really a weird thing to me. A weird kind of good thing is that um, I think my mom and dad, their generation was the last generation that had. Uh, uh, they knew like the people that were blues in the blues kind of like the um the black sound that was coming out of memphis uh and and then out of motown in detroit which is a whole different thing and then um and then kind of that 50s music but it wasn't a very diverse kind of thing and then you could say the same thing about the next generation which was me but now the fact that you care about the smiths who they were popular when i was in college um, or maybe right after that. And um, Oasis, who's not a new band anymore. Yeah, no. You know, no. now people like artists from a you know much larger span of time Yeah, than what was in the past. That's true. I mean, I guess I never really thought about it that way, yeah. Because I feel like, um, I guess now, when you have an old ear, it's kind of, a, it's kind of hard to adjust to new music. But then once you have a fresh year, it's one thing to appreciate the music that there is today and the music in the past. Yeah. So, and then when it comes to music, I feel like um, if you don't have a diverse music taste, it's hard to appreciate any kind of music. So, like, if you're not able to listen to rock or if you're not able to listen to R&B, it's kind of hard to um, to just judge good music because it's um, or expand your music taste just because if it's so, if your music taste is so one-dimensional, me personally, I get bored. And second of all, it's just like um, I don't know. I feel like you miss out um, on certain on certain music when you don't have a diverse ear or when you don't keep an eye out to good music. So there's a lot of people today who who um, who miss out on like you know rock on classic rock or uh, like any kind of rock or who miss out on R and B because they just listen to, to rap music. And then there's also vice versa who don't. Some people don't appreciate good rap or good hip hop. Because they're still stuck listening to like classic rap, you know. I mean, classic rock stuff like that. So I don't know. I think having a a diverse music taste is very important. Because I mean, it just there's a whole lot of things that it teaches you, whether it's like rhythm, lyrics. It probably helps if you look up the context of like the setting of what was going on at the time. It also helps a lot too, um, you know, for certain with certain bands or with certain songs. It makes a lot of sense. I like watching, um, you know, music documentaries and things like that. And I've watched a few on producers, and that's a really fascinating thing that's about what you were just talking about is some of these people, um, they could they could spot a hit. Like the, there would be a, a hit on the, you know, the airwaves and radio. and um, Whether it was coming from, you know, Motown, or all the way to rap or to country. And they could they sort of like had the ability to see past the style to the music and to see what was good and what would catch people's ear. Yeah. And I feel like that's um I think that's really important. I mean and then on top of that it teaches your mind your mind in general just to be very open minded instead mm-hmm. of being one dimensional. So, you know, I, I to anybody who doesn't have a diverse music taste, I recommend that you 
look up. I, I, me personally, um, artists, a couple artists that I would look up would probably be Marvin Gaye, The Smiths, and I, I'd stick to those two for now. If you're just like listening to stuff, Marvin Gaye and The Smiths are, are good and are good artists. And then from then on, you could just like. Music is so like I can't even I can't even begin to explain like where to start because especially back in that time like it's crazy, and then I like I like walking into vinyl record shops, they're they're the best thing ever. I walked into one I went to Athens a couple of weeks ago I think probably like a month ago I went to Athens, and I walked into a vinyl record shop and I could have been there for hours four hours I could have stayed in there, unfortunately I had to go because we had to go catch up with a friend. But, I mean, something about music and then something about having a diverse music taste is incredible because if I'm, if I just listened to rap, I would have been in there for probably 10 minutes and then I could have left. But, um, like, luckily, I have that, like, I have a very diverse taste, so I could have been there for hours and hours and hours and just, like, um, really just stayed there wishing the kind of records I had. Unfortunately, um, they didn't have a player. And even if they did have a player, I doubt they would let me listen, you know, because of all the COVID stuff and everything. Yeah. But, I mean, if they had a player um, that I could actually be on, I would have most likely been there for hours. There's a place. I've been in one called Wuxtry, which is in Athens. I think it's still there, too. It's a vinyl, vinyl shop. It's a huge selection. Really? Yeah, and you get lost in there. <laughs> Do they have a record player there where you can like listen to songs or no? Mm-mm. Yeah, I kind of want to go to one of those because I just want to be able to listen. I like discovering new music. Uh, anytime I discover any new music, it like I don't know. I don't. I can't describe the feeling when you discover new music, but it's good to always discover new music. That's the best way I can put it. I um, agree with you. But yeah, and then. Uh, going back to a couple bit of other artists I like, I kind of like Led Zeppelin. I like I listen to a bit of them, not as much. I honestly don't listen to like um, ACDC, Guns N' Roses, like um, Kiss, like honestly none of that. Um, none of that. I I mean, I've tried some of it. Like I've tried listening, and I mean it's not bad, but it's not something that I appeal to. Like if you like them, I'm not gonna be like, I'm not gonna say that your, your music taste isn't good. But uh, I mean, it's just something that doesn't really appeal to me. Um, the Beatles are nice. the The Beatles are all right. They have a couple of good songs. I some people who love the Beatles might be upset that I just said that that they're all right. But me personally, like I said, it's just one thing where they don't appeal to me that much. But they they are pretty good. Me personally, I like the Smiths more than I like the Beatles. But the the Beatles are pretty good. There's some groups that I think they're. Uh, I'm thinking about. Led Zeppelin, like that can some of their songs can get on my nerves, but then they'll hit one song that's just um, over the top, one of the best songs yeah. ever. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel about Led Zeppelin. I like, I like them, but I mean, yeah, it's the same way I feel. Where it's just some songs are a bit like I don't know what they're saying, or I don't like, I don't know why they decided to put that out there. And I guess it was hot back then. And then there's some other songs where it's like, um, where it's almost like, uh, it kind of feels timeless. Like that, if probably if they put it out today, it'd probably be like just as big. It's just like it's just good music. So, and I feel like that's also a key to good music, timelessness. Yeah. So, 
and I guess that's one of the defects that I have about some like rap or some hip hop artists is like okay well it's good now but like the timelessness aspect is something that I always take into account like if I listen to this in five years will that song still be good yeah if I listen to it in 10 and 20 years will that song still be good you know stuff like that one person that hits timelessness I think a lot is Alicia Keys oh yeah She's great. She's amazing. I think Alicia Keys and then Adele. I feel mm-hmm. like Adele Adele is going to be remembered like 50 years from now. She makes great music. Great yeah. music. And it's it's timeless. It's literally timeless that like, you know, her songs will will sound the same and will be just as appealing as they are now 10 years from now, 20 years from now like um you know, I hope the next generation and the generation after me listens to Adele because they will be missing out if they don't. And I feel like, um, I don't know, she's very mainstream, so I feel like some people like kind of take her for granted kind of thing. Like some people nowadays, they like to avoid listening to mainstream music. That's kind of a trend now, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I hope I hope one thing that, I like I hope just people will listen to Adele in the next generation and they'll kind of bring it up to their parents and see their parents' reactions about them listening to Adele. That's something that I'm curious about. But yeah, I feel like Alicia Keys is good at it. Adele's really good at it. And I feel like that's the only ha- the only artist I have for now that I could probably say are timeless. But well, regarding to that genre. Yeah. So yeah. Um Yeah, as far as hip hop artists, there's there's a select few, very select few that I could say the same for. Well, that's even when I thought of um, Alicia Keys because she she's not really a hip hop artist but she has elements of lots of different genres in her songs right she has a lot of um she has a lot of R&B she has soul but then she also has you know a bit of pop in there it's she's a really good artist I really I really like her but I, I, I really respect her I like her music a lot um, so my yeah. mom used to tell us when we were growing up, we would come up and say, "Oh, we really like this song." There was a there was a song called "Locomotion," and it was by a, a group called Grand Funk Railroad. <laughs> and we were telling our mom, "We love this song." And she said, "Honey, that's that song was popular when I was a teenager, <laughs> but it was more like a, um, you know, like a a blues song." But then it got remade into a rock song. Oh wow, really? Yeah, and there's lots of songs like that. Oh well, yeah, that's that's for sure. Um, like covers, but they covered it in a new way. Right. Yeah. And now there's a lot of artists who do that, like for their own for their own music, which I find it sometimes I like. Um. Uh. Sometimes I like the uh, the covers more than I like the original version. Like, um, there's this one song. It's called I Want to Get Lost With You. The rock version, can't stand it. Like, I can't even hear the lyrics to that song. Can't really stand it. But the acoustic version of that song, absolutely amazing. The lyrics are really good, but you can barely hear the lyrics with, like, all the drums and the guitar playing over. You can barely hear his voice or pay attention to any of the lyrics. But when he vocalizes, like, in the acoustic version, he he vocalizes, and then it's just the acoustic guitar. Amazing song. Definitely recommend that song. So... Yeah, that's a good thing when they can get it better the second time around. Yeah, and it's it's off the same album. Uh, I was just like, I mean, and they're they're a rock band, but I'm like, I don't know, acoustic is something that they should try more often. Is something I would recommend because the acoustic version of that of that song was 
definitely recommend. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10 on that song. So, yeah. And then, uh, one, one topic that I really wanted to focus on is kind of um, really the disconnect between, like, God and the youth. So, there's a lot of disconnect nowadays, right? And I feel like that's, that's pretty normal. Um, I, I doubt, like, you know, it was, um, it was, uh, like, I, I doubt the youth was like, oh, super religious back, back in the day either, you know, I doubt that's the case, but I feel like nowadays there's, um, I feel like every day there's, there's more and more like temptation to just like stray you away, just to keep you off the path. And some of it might be old, but then, like I said, some of it might be brand new, um, so I kind of just wanted to get like your opinion on that really and like what's some things that you would tell people to I guess attract themselves to God or to Christ to turn to Christ. Um I think that sometimes religion and God even becomes for people kind of like one of many options. And so people will say, "Yeah, I'm I'm not that religious." You know, and what's important to them in their life is their relationships with other people, their job, you know, how they make money, their friendships, um, as if maybe like God is just one option among many things that you could be interested in. And they're, and not bad things, good things, you know, and some people just opt, you know, it doesn't make any difference. And so they just kind of live their life like God doesn't exist. And I don't think you can approach that person by, um, like, yelling at them really loud. Or um, I don't even really think that the project is to intellectually convince people of things. I really think that um, the plan has got to be to awaken everybody to what we all really desire, which is true happiness, true love. Um, some connection with a power that's beyond ourselves. You know, like um, one example would be like my niece. I, I'd really hand it to my niece. My niece is at University of Georgia right now. Um, and she really gave herself to like the confirmation program at her church and everything. Um, but it just didn't, even though she was open, it didn't really touch her in a way. And I don't think she's closed herself off to God or to the church or anything. But I know that it's still on her list of many options of things she could she could do. Um, but she is interested in this, the what we, you might call the supernatural. And I do remember one time when she was going through her class, she said, she calls me Uncle Tim, not Father Tim. She says, Uncle Tim, our exorcism is real. And so we had this big, long talk about th uh, spiritual realities that you cannot see, angels, demons, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The only one that you see is the, is the Son. You know, the others are invisible. And, um, and I really realized that she, she does want to know the truth about the supernatural. And so when a person actually uh, takes the idea of God and it becomes part of what's essential in their life, not part of what's an option. Um, that's when you have a disciple who it's not, it's just not optional in their life anymore. 
And there's a lot of things that can make that happen. Um, so I think that one thing is that as many chances as we can give, as we can take to give young people some experience of the supernatural, supernatural God, not demons. Right. Uh, I think that we're doing a good thing for them because they'll remember that. You know, St. Paul even one time criticized the Galatian Christians. It's in the letter of the, to the Galatians in the Bible. And he said, how is it that so many powerful deeds of the Holy Spirit were done in your midst and now you're walking away from it? So he's sort of proving that just experiencing supernatural things won't eat that not even that will keep you in the faith. But on the other side, he could appeal to people's experience of such things to say, don't you remember when you experienced God? And I really think that teenagers are capable of having deep prayer lives. Um, it takes some effort. Uh, it takes some openness. But that's where you ex- end up experiencing the supernatural love of God. That's a, that's a good take on it. I've never really thought about it that way. I feel like... Um yeah, I never really thought about it that way. The mo- the biggest thing that I thought about was just to um I don't just because I'm I'm kind of like a more like simple-minded type thinker or a more practical way of thinking. So the more I thought about it, I just thought about it as a more uh I guess practical, appealing and intellectual way of attracting the the regular teenager just because I feel like um nowadays a lot of people feel judged when they um when when they come into the church or when they um don't know stuff about the church or um you know just things like that like um a lot of people feel constantly attacked so whenever a teenager tries and they just don't know something they're like there there's a high expectation i feel some or people feel that there is when you are a part of the church or when you are a christian or when you are a catholic which i mean there is but the problem is i feel I guess people don't. I that shies a, that takes away from the fact that God takes you however you are. You know, you can come however you are, and you don't have to be perfect. And nor are you expected to be perfect because it's impossible to be, be to be perfect. Right. So, you know, I feel like that's that's one thing. So people just don't even bother trying. People just say, "Well, I'm not. I'm not even like worthy of it. Nor do I want to be. Nor I don't want to." try to become a better person because they're having fun with what they're doing right now, basically. Right. They don't want to go through any of that. Um, they don't want to go through a very, I mean, it is a difficult process that takes a lot of effort. So it's just easier to do what's, what's happening. Or it's easier to go with what the flow like is giving them right now rather than, um, try to go through that process. And I feel like, um, there's a misunderstanding between a connection between them and God and then a connection between them and the church because, like I said, a lot of people feel a lot of criticism, but notice how all the criticisms come from people. And I feel that's one of the major things that, that like people keep other people away from the church. And that's one thing that I, I really dislike because I think it's unfair because you're doing the exact opposite. When you're trying to attract somebody, you you actually push them away. And it's quite upsetting to me because it's a person who actually there's some people who actually want to but they just need that one convincing thing they where they're literally asking God like okay just like throw me a sign and then instead they get a slap in the face 
And so it's some things that, you know, it, it, it really upsets me because I, it pushes so many people away. And I mean, there's just no other way to, there's no other way to put it. It's, it's something that we can avoid. It's something that we could easily avoid. Um, and then I think, you know, I, like, honestly, you're one of the easiest people to talk to about this, really. So it's like, for some people within the church, like, it's hard to ask questions. It's hard to talk to them. It's hard to talk to them about your own personal struggles because you're always, like, judged. But, you know, it's it's really, I think I think it's very easy to simplify like the re- the relationship with with you and God and then once you simplify it then you can build upon it. Yeah. So, once you simplify like the fact that it's a relationship between you and God, God and you only. Like you don't have to worry about anybody's criticisms about who you are right now um or who the, or who you will continue to be. It's only between you and and God. And I feel like that's the most important aspect but people don't seem to c- ever catch that because of the criticism that there are inside the church. With mm-hmm. other people, with, like within, so I feel like that's probably the most important factor, besides um, like just the basic factor of like belief. I think it's a factor of uh, like just appealing. So, like people just find it so unappealing that they don't even want to learn. And so, I think the main the main step, in my opinion, is to make it uh, like appealing first, without losing. Um, I guess the uh. How would I say it? Just make make it more appealing without lowering the level of the church, if that makes sense. Yeah. So. I think one of the most fundamental things that people... Uh, I'll, I'll just tell you my approach is that um, I presume that every person, not just who walks towards the church, but every person I see in the grocery store and every person I see at a school or every person I see anywhere, that every single person is somehow being drawn to God by God's love. And um, my job is just to help that and not to get in the way of it. You know? And so that means like if somebody walks in here and they don't know anything about God, um, they're supposed to be received by me as Christ himself, you know, even if they don't know Christ. And, um, I think that would just, that would go a long way to helping people feel comfortable. Yeah. That would go in, cause that would go an incredible way because people look at, look at other people when you're non-religious and, and they look down on them and I'm like, and, and then it's stuff in the, it's stuff in the Bible. I, I can't give you the exact verse or the, or the exact uh, quote, but I mean, it's unfair for you to judge somebody, you know, when you're not the perfect human being yourself. Like, it's I think it's one of the most it's one of the most basic principles that somebody should learn when in, when in the church. It's judge like, you know, if you if God were as judgmental as you are to other people, you know, yeah. like, it just wouldn't work out for you at all. So that's. I heard somebody say one time, don't try to answer the questions that no one is asking, which means like, um, I don't need to start out in my relationship with some new person, um, telling them about 
Catholic stuff. <laughs> you right. know, they're not asking that question. They might someday in the future, but they're not asking that question. And that's why I, I favor things like, well, I think that in a lot of ways, the modern day church has been reduced to um, trying to sort of download intellectual content into people's minds and download a moralistic code into people's lives. And um, so then what people, if all you have to give them is um, more smart intellectual stuff or more um, morality that they have to obey, well, nobody's going to want to come to that. But if you say, what I have to give you is, um, I'm first going to, I'm first going to believe that God is already speaking to you in some way. There's some aspect of your life where God is trying to move you or break into your life. If I just ask the questions, or if I just ask a person, well, what are the questions you're asking in your life? Um, you know, and sometimes it's really profound questions like, is it possible for anybody to ever make a promise for the whole their whole life? You know, a lot of people's parents have split up and stuff like that. And that's a question. A lot of people have that question. It's not even a religious question. It's a question about human living. And if if we could stick to those questions first, I think we'd have a lot more people that wanted to dive deeper into it. Yeah, because it's, I mean, it's just, I feel like um, it's, it's attaching p- things that people feel in their day-to-day life. I guess more towards religion. So like you said, just take the regular ordinary questions that they ask. And then, you know, obviously you don't have to jump quickly to saying like, Oh God can answer those questions. Even though he can, you don't want to jump right on there because it's unappealing to a lot of people just saying that off the bat. But it's, um, it's like, if we, like you said, if we stick to those kinds of questions or appeal to that sort of, um, to that day-to-day like life that they're that they live then it just becomes a lot easier and then to me the number one thing is just like yeah to me it's just showing love like showing kindness i feel like that's the most appealing thing that you as a christian can do just like um show just spread the love that god gives you himself you know so when you feel god's love and then you spread it it's something that you can feel like other people can feel too and it's the easiest thing people can feel you know, people can feel, um, and then all other people may not think that it's God's love that like every, every single ounce of love that I give comes from God himself. And some people may not know that it is, but it is. And people feel it. And I feel like that's the most important thing because, you know, you know, people sometimes might not understand, you know, there's a, a lot of people think there's a limited amount of kindness that a person can, can have or can give. And yes, for most people, that's how it works. But for God, that's not how it works. You know, it's unlimited love that he can give out. And so I think that's the most important thing. Kindness, love, you know, that's the that's the number one way to show to appeal to somebody because human emotion is is the is the thing that they can understand easiest and the most. It's the thing that they can feel the easiest. And so when people start asking themselves, okay, well, where do they get their emotion from? And then that's kind of a direction where you can lead them like, like I get it. I get it straight from him. And so that's something that, that I guess appeals to most people. And that sparks their curiosity. Yeah. And we have these wonderful people in the church call, we call them saints, 
But before they were ever called saints, they were people that were doing exactly what we, you were just describing. I think the most well-known one in modern times is Mother Teresa. And um, if, you, if people don't know who she was, she was this little Albanian woman who became a nun, but then felt called by Jesus um, to leave the kind of nun that she was and become a different kind of nun. And the new kind was she was supposed to completely identify with poor people. And so she says, she would say, like, even though she started a religious order, which is a group of the similar kinds of nuns that went all over the world, and there's thousands and thousands of them now. Um, she said, I didn't start try to start a religious order. She said, God told me to go over to that poor person and pick them up and clean them up and treat them like they were Christ himself. And that's what I've been doing one by one all my life. And she became the most famous. She won the Nobel Peace Prize. You know, mm -hmm. she spoke at the United States National Prayer Breakfast to presidents, several t presidents and first ladies several times. So she never set out to be famous. But when you give, when, when people see a love coming through you that's beyond our human love, like beyond somebody's capacity, how does somebody love that much? Then they go, must be God. Yeah, that's that. That's exactly, I guess, the the number one thing to to draw people towards it. And it's honestly just it's love, it's compassion, it's kindness. The things that, in my opinion, are like, I guess the the most important aspects of it. And that's what really, I guess, that's to me. That's I feel what especially young people need the most um, nowadays. Just like love, kindness, compassion. You know, um, and then like self worth, self confidence. And I feel like they can find it in that. But people don't understand that because there's a lot of people that they might meet from the church that are just constantly grouchy, constantly criticizing them. So then people think, okay, well, what they get out of God is to be judgmental, is to be critical, you know, is to be just mean. And that's like that's just a, a common misperception, uh, misconception that people gain just from people like in the church. So if you can gain a bad Con, like a bad perception of a person just of the way they act and then they claim to be a Christian then you can just you can also gain a good perception so I feel like that's just it, that's very important because you know as a as a Christian you know one of the like things that you're also supposed to do is to like spread the word spread the love of God right so when you're being judgmental and when you're being critical I think although you're trying this to spread like the word of God I think it kind of does the exact opposite and it pushes people away rather than bringing people in. And so when you spread kindness and, and like, you accept people for who they are, then it's a lot easier to, you know, it's a it's a lot um, easier to appeal to people. And now you show what, a, what being a Christian really is about. So I feel like that's what's most important to get people to, to appeal. I completely agree with you about that. I, I think we saw it when we started paying more attention to all different forms of religious uh, extremism. And you notice that people have to like, they have to do this unhuman thing that they have. To, first, they have to do a human thing and read the word of God uh, or, or read their religious text, Right. But then they might have to like do this unhuman thing, like convince themselves that because these words say these people don't belong, 
you have to override your sense that it's not good to kill other people and go, yeah, then you have to go kill them in the name of God. And um, that's almost common. That's common to almost all kinds of fundamentalism is you have to override your human sense of love and compassion and solidarity with other people and human dignity. And you have to just go with what this word seems to be telling you to do and then go do it. But everybody else in the world knows it's bad, you know, yeah. and that happens in a less dramatic sort of way, just in every church when, when we kind of like get things in a settled way in our mind of how it must be. And then we can't see the dignity of other people. Right. Right. And then, I, yeah, that's, I guess that's, a, that's another thing is just, um, taking things a little too literal rather than, um, kind of just stepping back and then looking at the bigger picture. So it's just, it's, it's things like that, that, that keep people away. And that kind of, that kind of make, like, it just makes me rather than upset or angry. It really just makes me sad. <laughs> like, it's mm -hmm. just when people, when people just say like, uh, I'm not religious. When people say, I don't want to be religious. When people say they're an atheist, like it just, it, it just, it's just sad when people don't understand or when people don't know. And the, and then it, what makes me even sadder is the reasons why they've chosen. Like you said, like for them, it's like a couple, it's just, a, it's a choice among other things in their life that they could focus on mm -hmm. and why they've chosen to stay away. And it's, well, if only they had been exposed from really what, what truly like, you know, Christianity represents, then it would be a completely different story. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, I think we've we've been on for quite a bit and um I I actually have to kind of go home now. So, thank you Father Tim. I really really appreciate it. It was great talking to you. So, I hope we could do this again sometime. It was nice getting to know you a bit better. Um and it was great talking to you. So, thanks for coming over. Yeah, no problem. I'll I'll we'll probably do this again. So, I hope thank, so. Yeah, thank you Father Tim and I appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening. And we'll see you guys in the next episode.